Hi, I'm Brett. I'm a product designer at Weldorf Education, and I'm passionate about the power of language learning. Welcome to the UX of EdTech podcast, an exploration of user experience in the EdTech space. I'm your host, Alicia Kwan, and I look forward to learning with you today. So I have with me Brett Gunter, a product designer and also a colleague of mine. And Brett is basically a fountain of knowledge when it comes to working on products for students and teachers. And he's helped me out a lot personally and just continues to teach me in our work together. Right now, we're actually collaborating on a product where I'm working on the student-facing side, and he's working on the educator and admin-facing side. So all of that to say, I'm really happy to share this conversation out with the community because Brett is basically a guru on, on a lot of the things that um, we talk about on this on this podcast. So getting started in edtech product design, uh, I wanted to dive into a lot of different topics within, within that category. And something I wanted to start off with, Brett, is um, sometimes people ask and reach out about what they should study and focus on when trying to specifically work within edtech as a designer or researcher in UX. And in my experience, it's most important to focus on the craft and skill of design or research versus having a strong understanding of the education landscape, though that definitely helps and is a huge plus. But can you can you speak to this to this at all? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, I 200 percent agree with you, Alicia. I feel like a knowledge of the ed tech industry coming from an educator background or some kind of education is great. And that certainly gives you a leg up in getting started. But far more important is just being really good at practicing design thinking. Uh, Design thinking applies everywhere to every problem, regardless of whether or not it's for ed tech, specifically, or financial tech, or for social media, right? The steps for solving the problem are the same regardless. And, and um, I see a lot of that sometimes in the tech industry where companies as a whole value experience with ed tech over really good design thinking practice. And I think it's a problem uh, that, that companies find themselves in when they hire these people who are industry experts, but um, not necessarily pros at, at design. Yeah, well, let's, let's jump into that. So let's say someone does have, you know, a background or a passion in, in education or ed tech, but they, they do want to grow and, and become or continue to work as a designer. Um, let's talk about design education. You can kind of start off with that. So, you know, the, the big questions are usually boot camp or university or quote unquote self-taught. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that for someone trying to get a design education? Yeah. Um I think my, my first thought between those three things is it, it doesn't matter. Um, and my second thought, and I'll, I'll dive into both of these, but my second thought is that none of those are enough. Um, I got a degree in human computer interaction um, 
or the you know academic speak for UX design, but I didn't feel like my degree, you know, 100% prepared me for being a UX design professional. In fact, I started working as a UX designer far before I graduated or was even into, you know, senior level classes. I've met many people who did boot camps and are fantastic designers. And I've met many people who did boot camps and are terrible designers. Uh, and so I feel like whatever you do, you know, however you get acquainted with the process to be a truly successful designer, you have to apply yourself and do a lot of extra work outside of your normal education to become really good at design. It's the boot camps are great. They provide a lot of um, quick learning and intro to the process, but they're not enough on their own. You know, getting a, a degree, sure, that's great. You know, you can get a degree, but the the context and the the type of learning and information that you're going to get inside a degree is not always the same as what you're going to encounter in industry. So that alone is not enough. Teaching yourself is also great. You know, you can watch tons of YouTube videos and take free Coursera classes and all these kinds of things. But that alone is not enough because you need to talk to real experts, real industry people and get critique on your on your work, right? Get feedback on stuff you're actually doing. So I feel like you've got to have a combination of all of those to, to really be successful. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, when it comes to if you had to lean one way or the other, like let's say somebody comes to you and says, well, which one should I do? They're like, yes, I agree with you. But at the same time, which one should I do? How would you help that person kind of self-assess for them to figure out which one would be a better fit for them? Yeah, I mean, I think part of that would be your financial situation. You know, obviously doing a boot camp is far more cost effective than getting a full on degree and, you know, even cheaper than a boot camp is just self teaching. Um, I think with the increase in cost from self teaching to boot camp and boot camp to university, you probably get a little higher level of accreditation um, for the education that you're getting. And so if, if that's important to you to have a name brand school or something, then you know, going through university is not a bad route. I feel like if you're a lifelong learner, somebody who's really stoked about learning all kinds of things and getting really deep into it, getting a degree is obviously a great choice because you can, you'll learn, you know, the practices of design, but you'll also be required to take a lot of classes and a lot of other subjects. Um, whereas in a boot camp, you're going to be really hardcore focused on UX design. Um, so I think, you know, all those things could, could factor into what ultimately you want to do, but I feel like self-teaching boot camp or university, you have equal opportunity of getting a job, um, from, from any of those. So I don't think one has more weight over the other for every job. There are some jobs that might like require having a degree or some jobs that maybe don't want you to have a degree in design. They want you to have, you know, less experience that way or whatever. So, but I, I don't think there's any job or any, I shouldn't say there is not any education that will always give you a leg up uh, in every job situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great thoughts. And I'm, I'm thinking about these three options and how one of the main goals is producing a portfolio uh, with, with your work there and your, your studying portfolio tips, what, what are your thoughts there? Advice on, you know, building, crafting a portfolio? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, portfolios are the worst. <laughs> they're so they're so hard. Uh, I hate working on my portfolio because it's it just feels like so much work and effort trying to to wrap, you know, six months of intensive labor into this beautiful little package that perfectly displays, you know, your contribution to the project and why a company should hire you. Um, that being said, we have spent, you know, quite a bit of time uh, at my current company, Well North, hiring new designers. And so I spent quite a bit of time looking at portfolios. And I do have a few things I feel like that are important to emphasize. Um, I see a lot of times looking at specific case studies, people start their case study with something that they often title the challenge, right? And the challenge usually sort of lays out this scenario of why you're doing this project, uh, you know, maybe why the, the project is difficult, what sort of business scenarios are, are making this project come to be, uh, you know, what constraints you have. And those are all interesting and good things to know. But almost never does the challenge actually cover the problem you're trying to solve. And to me, that's the first thing I want to see. And I want to see it big and important. This is the problem we're solving with this project, right? User has problem A. Um, and I also want to see what evidence there is of that problem. It's really easy to make an assumption that a problem exists um, and to write that problem out. But what's important is for me to see, I have a problem and here's real data, real evidence, whether that's user interviews or other, other data suggesting the problem exists that validates that this is a problem that needs to be solved. Um, I think that gets missed a lot or it gets really hidden inside of the portfolio. I also feel like the, the meat of, of a, of a case study, um, is often just not read to be frank, you know, there's hundreds of portfolios and every portfolio has three or four or five or six case studies. And there's just not enough time to go through and read all of them. And so, you know, having the problem big and upfront, that's the first thing I'm going to read. I'm going to scroll through and I'm going to look and see, you know, some kind of montage of visual progress, right. Showing that you understand the design thinking process, that there's different levels, of fidelity and prototyping happening. And then at the very end, I want to see the outcomes uh, in that portfolio, right? And when I say outcomes, that could mean a lot of things. I mean, evidence that your solution solved the problem you initially stated. And in some projects, you know, if they're schoolwork or they're sort of fake for the purpose of, you know, being your portfolio, maybe you don't have real evidence yet because it's not a thing that actually was released to the world. But write down what evidence you would see uh, if, if this was released, right? And if it was successful, because I want to understand or I want to know, I should say that you understand as a designer, the value of actually solving a problem and then validating that that problem was solved. If I know that you can do those two things, all the other in-between stuff is important and it's good, but it's going to happen a thousand different ways. And I'm not really looking at the details of like, you know, how many iterations did you go through and, and how successful was all of your user testing stuff? And I'm going to assume that stuff is happening. But as long as those end caps are there, then I have confidence in, in, in the ability of that designer. Great. And, and with that, when it comes to interviewing and, you know, actually presenting portfolio pieces, do you have any kind of follow up thoughts with that or tips for the actual 
interview itself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interviews are, are also not my favorite thing <laughs> when I'm personally looking for work. It feels like there's just a lot of pomp and a lot of, you know, it's, you sort of go through a lot of motions, you know, in an interview, but there are always two questions I ask when I'm, um, when I'm interviewing uh, that help me understand if this person is going to be a good fit, um, if this person's going to, you know, actually be able to sync with the team. The first is, can they explain what the value of UX is? Um, it's very easy to recite the design thinking process to talk about how that was used and to give examples of whatever. But I want to know, can you have a conversation with an executive and explain to them why they need to keep investing money into the user experience? What is the return on investment for them in, in having user experience at the company because every UX design position is part doing design and part fighting for design. I feel like we have to continually show our value and why companies should continue to fund and resource the UX effort. And so if, if the designer can answer that question, well, that's a, that's a really good thing. And then the other thing for ed tech specifically is I want to know why ed tech, because ed tech is complicated. And there's a lot of, I should say, staunch in the industry. And it gets kind of frustrating sometimes working at tech. And so when we're looking for people, like we want to know, are they passionate about ed tech? Or is it just sort of ed tech is just another industry, another thing they're trying to do? Um, we want to know that they're in it because education is important to them for whatever reason. You know, there's a thousand reasons why that could be. But those are two, those are two standout questions for me. All the others are sort of, you know, gut checks. Do they know the process? You know, do they, you know, can, can they solve the problems, whatever. But if they can explain the value of UX and if they can show a passion for ed tech, then I, then I get interested. That's great. That's a lot to yeah reflect on and, and think about. Um, I want to rewind a little bit for you and your career. What's something that you wish you knew back during your first year in, in a design role? <laughs> so much, so many things I wish I knew. No, I mean, I think for me as a designer, uh, the first year was very scary. Um, I, I was never a, a visual person. I was never, you know, really into graphic design or any of those things. And so I was just terrified of showing my work to people uh, because I felt like I, I couldn't show it or I felt like I didn't want to show it until it was perfect, until every pixel was where it should be and it looked right. And so I feel like if I could, you know, go back and tell myself, you know, if, as a first year designer, something that would be important to know, I'd be failure is important, right? And to, to get critique at every stage possible, like there's never, you, you can never show your work too much, get as many eyes on it as possible. And it's even still, right, as designers, we have sort of that, that uh, imposter syndrome, uh, it gets difficult to want to show your work to the people and you feel like you have to explain every situation and scenario as to why the design isn't exactly perfect, but like, just show it, get, get other people's views and opinions and feedback because you learn so much from that, but your design ultimately gets better in, in doing that. And that goes the same with, with users too, you know, get it in front of users as soon as possible. When my first year, I, I would wait until I had really beautiful full fidelity prototypes before I get it in front of anybody. Cause I just didn't want 
to show work to users that was incomplete or that would be confusing. Um, and so I would try to think through, you know, every problem that I, that might come up in a user test and solve it first, but it's so much easier just to get in front of people right away. Yeah. That, that resonates with me. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that. And a follow-up I have to that is just on the importance of critique, um, you know, design crits and, and all of that. Do you have any, do you have any tips about receiving, receiving critique or, or participating in, in design reviews? Yeah, definitely. I think something that uh, at least I often forget in design critiques is you do not have to justify your designs during a critique, right? That isn't the purpose of the critique. As the designer, you hold all of the knowledge, you know, all of the, the background information, all of the user tests, and all of the the previous research and stakeholder uh, information that led to the design you're bringing to the table. And it goes so much smoother and easier if you just receive feedback and not defend anytime somebody critiques something that has a specific, specific reason behind it, right? Somebody suggests in the critique, move a button left or right. And you know for a fact that there's like 20 reasons why the button should be where it is. Rather than defending and explaining, just thank you. That's great feedback. I appreciate that, right? Just because it was, you know, a piece of advice was given to you in a design critique doesn't mean you have to implement it. As the designer, ultimately, you make the final call. And there are some critiques, uh, some, you know, advice that will be given that you'll just have to weed out because you know other, you know, there's other confounding factors they weren't aware of. And it just gives a more positive atmosphere and then you don't feel like people are attacking your precious baby design that you've spent so much time on and 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 you're trying to fight everybody off and tell everybody why it's so great like just just go in with a super open mind and and uh you know hey thanks thanks for the feedback i appreciate it and then make the decision afterwards whether or not it's something that is is worth looking at and i feel like at least i feel like you and i have talked about that sometimes too where i'm like don't take you know I just gave you some feedback on this design, but like that doesn't mean go off and run and make the change. You know, like I recognize you have a lot more knowledge on this than than I do at the moment. So it's okay. I won't be mad. Like if I, you know, you just say, forget it, Brad, I'm not going to do that. That's a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I appreciate you, you doing that. I, I think you've just set a really good example, just kind of modeling just what you said, where you're, you're giving feedback, you're giving help and it's this open environment, but at the same time, really pushing it back on whoever the point person is or be in that situation to, to make the final call. So that's, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. And I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning a lot. And yeah, critique is such an interesting thing. Something that I've been thinking about a lot is just the, the desire to collaborate um, at those early stages. Like you mentioned when things are not pretty looking, things are messy and there's, you know, there's maybe even confusion on, on different, on different items and thinking through what the priorities are. And so still being really open about your work is something that I personally, I know I want to grow in. I want to, I want to grow in just, just having a really collaborative mindset because just some of the most creative things come out of that, you know, and, and like you said, you know, it's not, you know, our precious little, you know, baby that we've created. It's, it's really more of a, 
a group project and and the designer has a specific role in that and, and a point role in, in kind of making some of those final decisions, but it really is a collaborative effort. Yeah. Yeah. And, and oftentimes it's that during those collaborative sessions, it's idea number seven, number eight, number nine that are gold, right? And those only happen when you maintain that collaborative attitude, right? Where you're just really open to ideas and feedback from anybody, regardless of the context you hold in your brain, you know, let somebody else come in without any context and just suggest something totally wild. Because sometimes that's the best idea. You know, you're like, wow, I didn't even think about that. But I guess that would work. That would be awesome. Let's try it, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and it, it kind of speaks to, yeah, just the importance of those sessions and how we facilitate them. You know, how can we encourage the wild ideas as well? And, and yeah, just that collaborative feedback. Yeah, that's good. I could, yeah, I could talk about that a lot. But um, I want to, I want to get into maybe some of your favorite resources as as a designer. You know, or what's in your your toolkit or um, things that you either have you know, read through or gained a lot of insight from, or maybe things that you keep going back to any favorite resources? Yeah. I mean, I think my favorite resources are Slack communities, UX Slack communities where conversations happen around, around Slack. You know, obviously you've got one with the UX of EdTech, which is way cool. And, and it's cool to see the conversations happening with UX specifically around EdTech, but I also love one called Product Hive. Um, it was kind of started in, in Utah where I'm located now, but it's grown a lot and it's, it's gone beyond far beyond Utah. Um, really cool to be able to just, if you've got a question or just even a wondering to just post on the channel there and get 20 people from around the country to respond with, you know, various feedback and, uh, you know, ideas for different patterns or latest trends and tools. You know, I, I love being connected to a bunch of designers across the country that I don't work with. You know, it's, it's really refreshing to have that perspective. I also really love um, Dribbble. And I know Dribbble gets a lot of hate because there's just not a ton of substance there. But man, it's refreshing sometimes when you're just really stuck on a visual problem to just start to, you know, type in data report, you know, whatever, and just start to scroll through and kind of see these beautifully crafted things that have no thought for real usage, right? Or real real users behind them, but they are art in, in a way. And, and I often get a lot of inspiration from Dribble and get an idea of how I could take a pattern I see there and, and make it realistic for a product that we're using. Um, there's, you know, sometimes Dribble gets to be kind of an echo chamber where one person posts something and then that's a trend for months and months and months on end. So it's difficult to sometimes, you know, break out of that. But I, I found a lot of value in just the you know, the art side of being a UX designer, which you don't think about a ton. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you're you're totally right. There's some things you have to kind of sift through, but if you have a certain lens on or filter, yeah, there is yeah. a lot of value there still. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, how do you continue to sharpen and grow as a designer? So now, you know, several years into your career, how do you continue to, to push yourself? And that could be, you know, within work or outside of work. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, as we, we've talked about this a bit already, critiques are just so important. I learned so much uh, in critiques and showing work with other designers. And I think that's why, you know, I said, too, if I could tell my first year self, you know, a piece of advice, I'd be to just show your work often and everywhere. 
um, the more that I interact with other people around the things I'm doing, the more I learn. Um, I love to do, you know, targeted goal setting with my boss, um, who, you know, knows me really well and knows my weaknesses. I love to try to pinpoint areas where I know I'm weak in and set a goal of how I'm going to improve in there and make a plan with, with what I'm going to do to try to improve in that area. And it's nice to have somebody who is paid to, to hold me accountable to those things. Right. And, and who's far more experienced than I am and can, you know, give me the, the advice and the, the feedback that I need to, to keep pressing forward. But design is a, an interesting field, it's an interesting career. It's an easy one to plateau in and sort of just, you know, stay the same if you want. You can get to a level where you can get to a job. You can use the design thinking process and solve problems and just kind of stay at that level without much more thought. But if you push yourself, you can get into a lot of other areas of growth and expertise, um, specializing in, in a particular area and getting, you know, master of user research or master of visual design, master of information architecture, whatever it be. And, uh, but it's also really easy to just be a, you know, pretty decent generalist and kind of stay at that level. So I feel like it takes extra effort to actually progress and grow in the field. Good thoughts. Uh, one of my last questions, curious if you have a favorite example of, of good UX design, mm. any, any product. Yeah. My favorite product is Google photos. Um, their most recent updates, I, I don't love quite as much if I'm being honest, but, <laughs> um, and my phone just went off cause I said the word Google stop the phone. Um, but yeah, I, I think Google photos is a really good example of providing the content I need exactly when I need it. And I've even had, you know, fairly emotional experiences with Google photos cause they do that, like, you know, memories review thing five years ago today. And I'll look at something and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, look at my, my son. Like he was a baby, you know, three years ago. That's crazy. Uh, they just, I never have to search or look for something so, too hard in Google photos. I'm always, the thing I need is right there. I love that you can go in and like search Grand Canyon 2014. And then all the pictures that I took in Grand Canyon from 2014 are just right there, right? Without, or searching for like, didn't I take a picture of like a dog? You know, just search dog, right? And it's like all of a sudden you have it there. It's amazing. Uh, how complicated of a product that is on the back end, but how simple the interfaces and you can just access so much with, with little, very little effort. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah. I also, I use that. So that's, that's good to think about. It's good. Good example. Yeah, um, how, how can people connect with you, Brad, and, and follow your work and, and what you're up to? Yeah. LinkedIn is, is a, a great, great resource. I'm not actually not really on any other social medias, but if you connect with me on LinkedIn and, and message, I'm always down to, do a virtual lunch or a physical lunch if you're in the area. I currently live in, in uh, Utah area, but I'm moving to Arkansas. So if you're in Arkansas and you want to have lunch the next few months, reach out on LinkedIn. I'd love to get together and do whatever. Or if you're anywhere else in the world, video call. <laughs> yeah. <video's> great. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. And I, I guess I'll just throw this out here. Um, do you want to mention any thoughts about Well North hiring product designers? Yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be great. We're hiring a few more product designers right now. We're looking um, for senior and 
mid-level or junior level product designers uh, as of today, May 21st. So we'll see uh, you know, where, where that goes and how quickly we fill the spots, but come join the team doing really cool things. Get to work with Alicia and I, which is awesome. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what other incentive you'd need other than those two things right there. <laughs> That's awesome. Good. Good commercial. Yeah, All that's right. right. <laughs> the poster children here for, for Well North. <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Brett, again for your time and just sharing with us your experience. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And for our listeners, definitely check out show notes for ways to connect with Brett. And there's also some links there. There's a link to an email series on exploring UX in the education space you might find interesting. And also a link to a job posting. So if you're interested in those product design positions, definitely look in the description. Reach out if you have any perspectives or stories to share with me. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at UX underscore EdTech or on LinkedIn as Alicia Kwan. This is the UX of EdTech podcast, an exploration of user experience in the education technology space. I look forward to learning with you next time. Mm -hmm.